Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Would you please stay standing for the reading of God's Word? Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Our teaching text is Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want to do for you whatever it is we ask. Or we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. And they replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great... Among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And this is God's word. Uh, You may be seated. My freshman year in high school, I made our high school's varsity golf team, and I felt the pressure of that my freshman year. In my high school, Brownsburg, Brownsburg High School, the Brownsburg Bulldogs, had won our Hendricks County Tournament 15 years in a row. We'd beaten our fellow Hendricks County rivals, the terrible Avon Orioles, the dreaded Plainfield Quakers and Danville Warriors. We'd beaten them into humiliation year after year after year. And so we rolled up to the 1999 Hendricks County Tournament expecting the same result. And the tournament was two days. And the first day of that tournament was one of the worst rounds of golf of my life. And our whole team played awful. And we left the first day of that tournament significantly behind our rival, the Avon Orioles. We drove away in utter defeat. So the next day of the tournament rolled up and we got to the golf course and uh, got out of the the van, got our club, started making our way to the clubhouse and our coach stopped us and then proceeded to berate us, uh, to yell at us, to use some choice four-letter words. He told us he could have kicked it around the golf course better than us, which wasn't true. He was actually a terrible golfer. Uh, but, but then he said, you are not representing Brownsburg High School golf. Um, and as he was yelling at us, I realized I was, this was my first 
inspirational halftime speech that I'd ever been a part of. That's what all the movies have. The, the trouble is on a golf course, it's a little bit different because golf courses are quiet. So when a man is yelling at a golf course, like you hear it for a long distance. Uh, but the speech worked. We all went out and played really well the next day, came soaring back and won our 16th consecutive Hendricks County Golf Tournament. First service clap for that, so I don't... Somewhere I have the, the patch on my, I appreciate, I appreciate the sarcasm, thank you. Uh, but to play golf for Brownsburg meant you, you won that tournament every year. Or else you were not representing the history of some random town down south in Indiana. And, and Jesus uh, is doing something similar here. His, his disciples are arguing over who the most important are among them. Who should get the power? Who should be making the decisions? Who should have the most cachet? And Jesus says to them, you, you are not representing what it, is, it means to be my disciple. This is not what I've taught you. And so he gives his own halftime speech. And, and what he says should really astound us. No one with the influence, the power, the resources available to Jesus has ever said anything like this. And so what is, what is Jesus saying with these words? And I want to start just by asking the question, okay, well, who does Jesus want representing him? That's the question he's addressing. And he says, I, I, I came not to be served but to serve you and to give my life away as a ransom for many. I mean, just, just sit in that for a minute. All of the resources Jesus had available to him, all of the wisdom he's existed before creation was born, all of the power that encompassed um, him, Hebrew says that Jesus holds all of creation together by his word. He speaks and the galaxies function properly. <laughs> and this guy says, I, I, don't, I don't want you to serve me. I want to serve you. And I want to give my life away to you. I'm using all of my resources for you. I mean, this is, that's absurd. <laughs> There's no one in a leadership position with this kind of power, influence, uh, wisdom, resources available to him who says, all of this is for you. I've come to serve you. When I was in campus ministry in Bloomington, Indiana, I attended a church for a time uh, there called Exodus Church. And the pastor there, his name is Matt, and Matt would say, uh, say this often to us. He'd say, as a church, we define success not by what we accumulate, but by what we give away. I've never heard a pastor say anything remotely like that. I've heard a lot of uh, pastors talking about how many people attend their church, uh, the budget size, the buildings. Uh, I once heard a worship pastor say that their church was the second best live concert, concert venue in their region. 
And so my experience in church growing up, to have a pastor say to his congregation, listen, our, we define success by what we give away, was shocking. <laughs> and, and they lived it. They lived that vision. But that is the definition of success Jesus has. His entire ministry is summed up that he came to serve, to be last, to become a slave to all. And so back to my question, well, who does Jesus want representing him? He tells us. This is important to him, so may we hear it again. He speaks about how power normally works in the world, which is like this. You know that those who are considered ruler of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them, right? It's, people normally, they get power and they look around and they say, okay, now I can, your life for me. I now have the power to take what you have or, or your influence or what you're possessing and enhance myself with it because I have more power. And then Jesus says, verse 43, not so with you, my disciples. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. The world's way, you get power, you get influence, and you, now you get to have it your way. You get to use all of those resources to enhance what you want. And Jesus says, I want the exact opposite out of my people. I want my people to be servants. Generous, sacrificial, giving their lives away to others. People whose vision of life is, is my life for you, not your life for me. And this vision is all over the New Testament. Love is, is not just a, a feeling that we have of good thoughts. Love in the New Testament is I, I give myself away to others. The, in 1 John, the, the way love is defined is, is unique for Christians. That John, one of the guys Jesus is speaking to here in Mark 10, he says this about love in 1 John 4.10. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. At the highest embodiment of love, according to John, is that we love those who do not love us. We become servants. We say, I, I want to serve you. I want to give myself away to you, even though you do not love me. But this creates a problem for us, because if, if that's what love is, or maybe the highest or one of the greatest forms of love is, is loving those who have not loved you, well, then we can't love God like that. Because God loved us. So everything we offer to God can only be in response to his generosity and kindness and his abundance that he's offered. Our very breath is his. Our life is his. Everything we have is his. So we can never love God that way. We can never reach uh, the type of love that God has for us. Or is it? There's a, a, a 15th century saint named Catherine of Siena, and she saw this tension that we can't genuinely love God or serve God in a selfless way because all of our love response to God is, is, is ultimately owed to him because of he's give, all he's given to us. And so she wrestled through this tension. She had this experience uh, where she sensed God saying this to her. I ask you to love, this is God speaking to Catherine, I ask you to love me the, with the same love with which I love you. 
But for me, you cannot do this. For I loved you without being loved. Whatever you have for me, you owe me. So you love me not gratuitously, but out of duty. While I loved you, not out of duty, but gratuitously. So you cannot give me the kind of love I ask of you. This is why I put you among neighbors. So you can do for them what you cannot do for me. That is, love them without any concern for thanks, without looking for any profit for yourself, and whatever you do for them, I will consider done for me. This sounds a lot like what Jesus says to his servants, to his disciples. Go and love. Be servants. Love others as a servant, not with looking for profit for yourself. Or, I mean, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What he said is really interesting. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what Jesus means by that is the, the highest way you can love God is loving your neighbor. And I think the reason that's true is, is what God said to Catherine, is that you can only love other people in a selfless, gratuitous way. You can never love God that way because all of your love to him is owed. Because he's given you everything you have. And so Jesus says to his disciples, go and love the world the way I have loved you. Go and serve the world the way I have served you. And that's who Jesus wants us to be as a church. To love others as God has loved us. Because Mark Mark 10 is not, it's not theory. It's not a a nice theological idea to live in our brains. I came here to be served, to be served, uh, or I came here not to be served, but to serve, give my life. That's not just theology. You and I, we have been served by Jesus Christ. He gave his life away for you. This isn't theology. This This should be your life. This is everything he's done. He has served you. You've been served by Jesus. And that's just absurd. It's astounding. I mean, think you, you roll up to, to church on a Sunday morning, and it's one of the many, uh, one of the many uh, cold, icy, cold, like basically the last three weeks here, right? Like this Sunday, exception, but it's cold, it's icy, and we, we as a church, we're like, we're going to set up a valet service for you. So we'll have one of our people drive your car out and then do the track through the parking lot, almost certain to slip and fall at some point from the long walk. So you roll up, and we got a valet service, and there at the valet service is Jesus. Let me park your car for you. Yeah, it'd be ridiculous. One, because he'd be back from the dead and that'd just be wild to see. But also, like, he, why? Why would someone use their resources? Someone like that. So many resources, so much power, so much wisdom, so much glory. In the position of a servant. <laughs> and yet Jesus gives his life away on, on a cross for us. He served us by giving his life away to us on, on a cross. And to follow Jesus means you're committing yourself to becoming that kind of person. Where you look out at the world around you and you don't say, hey, here's what I need from you. But you look out at the world around you and say, I want to serve my life for you. Which, of course, is not how our culture or vision, uh, how our culture thinks or its vision of what a good life is. Is let me, let me serve you. And so you and I, we have, we have work to undo the assumption, which is, no, the good life is you serve me, your life to enhance mine. To totally do a 180 here, we need, we need work. So how do we become the kind of people Jesus is speaking about here? How do we become people of generous, sacrificial, others-centered 
love, because that's what's happening with James and John here. They, they, they believe their discipleship to Jesus means more power, more decision-making, more influence, more prestige. And Jesus says, you don't, you don't understand what you're asking for. You don't understand what, you're, what you want. So how do we become, I mean, Jesus is walking them through a discipleship out of self-centeredness and into self-generosity. So how do we become like that? And if you've been with us each week, I, I've, I've, over the last uh, few weeks, I've, I've been walking through some of the reasons why the research shows and why I think out of my own pastoring, uh, the church has seen so many people leave in the last 25 to 30 years. And we've talked about how the church has divided itself along generations. I shared a, a slide with you a few weeks ago uh, that Brian O'Neill shared with me. This has been the vision of church. Let's just, what do you want? Let's give it to you. We exist to serve you. And we create a vision of discipleship where it's I come to church and I expect to be served. And if I'm not served what I like, I'm going somewhere else. Or I'm going to search somewhere else. And so we, we create a church divided along generations saying, yes, we will give you what you once and now 30 years later on that experiment the result is 50, uh, 40 million people have left the church 1 million millennials every year leave it, this hasn't worked and i believe one reason it hasn't worked is it 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 disagrees and denies with what jesus is saying here my life is you better do what i want <laughs> that's what that communicates whereas the church is to be full of a community that says my life for you i lay it down i, do, I don't need my way I've been, I've been served by Jesus Christ. I have all the resources I could ever need. Let me give myself away to you. And so we've been talking honestly about why we failed to reach the next generation, why so many younger people are leaving the church. And, and one thing we're finding is consistently in their church experience was experience, an experience not of generosity and sacrificial love, but often, often harshness and judgmental spirits. Whether the topic was honest doubts about the Christian faith and is this true, is this not, or issues of politics. And so this series has been a call. We want to be a church gathered before God and to be Jesus and his representatives to the world well as people of other-centered, gener generous, sacrificial love. And so I want to end our, our series giving you two thoughts on how I think we become that. And admittedly, they're not, they're not in the text. So this is more, hey, this is my... My best advice, walking with Jesus over the last 30, 40 years. If you want to grow in, who you're grow in becoming a person of generous, sacrificial, other-centered love, two, two thoughts this morning. Uh, the first is to become a person of generous, sacrificial, other-centered love, we must become a house of prayer. So we're in the middle of our two-year gather initiative, and the anchor verse for our two years is Isaiah 56. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him beside those already gathered. Now notice the movement of the text. God's people gather to pray, to become a house of prayer, to live in the presence of God. And the result is the, the surrounding nations are drawn in because God's presence is among his people. It's a house of prayer. So there are many ways this works, but one, one way uh, this works is I believe it's impossible to pray to Jesus, uh, to pray to our Father in heaven, and not become like him. Because you become like who you spend time with. The people you give your time to, you're looking more and more like them. So for example, when I was in Kansas City, I found myself drawn to becoming a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Which was ridiculous. I grew up as a Colts fan, and as Colts uh, fans... 
We have a long history of humiliating the Chiefs in the playoffs in like spectacular fashion. It's humorous. And so I should have rolled into Kansas City like, guys, just, just close the franchise down. I mean, have you, have you been watching this for the last few years? But instead, I find myself like, maybe, I will. maybe I'll root for them and maybe I'll be a Chiefs fan. As, as well, because you become, you're drawn to the things that the people you spend time with are drawn to. So you spend time praying with God, whose entire vision of, of who the Trinity is, who Jesus is, is I, I seek to give away. I seek to serve. <laughs> I seek to gratuitously pour out my resources so that other people can enjoy what I, what I have intrinsic to myself. You pray to that being and you become like that. You pray to Jesus, you become someone who says, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to be served. I want to serve and give my life away as a ransom for many. And so if you become a person of prayer, you will become a person of love. And if we become a house of prayer together as a church family, we will be a house of other-centered, sacrificial, generous love. And so uh, next week, we're going we're gonna to have a commitment Sunday. And one of the things we're going to invite you to pray through and respond to is, is we'll hand you a card and ask you to, to lay it in a basket. And, and it's your prayer, it's your hope for what we will do in the coming year to become a house of prayer. If you remember the first week in this series, I said, pray through how God might lead us to, to more deeply enter into becoming a house of prayer. We hope you've been doing that. We hope you have an idea. Maybe not like 10 ideas, because that'd be tough. But like an idea and then write it down and bring it forward and, and lay it in the basket. Because that is our, our hearts seeking this year as a church is to grow in our, our prayer and who we are as prayers. And that means we're going we're gonna to build a, a prayer ministry out during our service on Sunday morning. So where anyone who needs to be prayed for can be prayed for. We want to have more intentional prayer gatherings through the course of the year. Because my belief is as a pastor and as a, as a, a member of a church is the best thing we have to offer people is not great programs, it's not preaching, it's not music, it is, it is the ministry of Jesus through us to others. The presence of Jesus through us to others. And that's, that's all we got. Because if we're, if we're singing songs without the presence of Jesus, it's, it's just a concert. If I'm speaking words to you without the presence of Jesus, I'm, I mean, this is like a bad TED Talk. I don't even know what this is, right? The, the idea is we want to connect you to the ministry of Jesus. So we must grow in our prayer over the coming year. And if you want to become like Jesus in your generosity, grow your prayer life. Hang with Jesus. Pray to him. You'll become like him. Second and, and final piece of advice I'd, I'd have, if you want to grow in becoming a person of generous, sacrificial, other-centered love, is pursue the journey towards generosity. Now, one year ago, Misty and I made a, a financial commitment to our Gather initiative and to um, some other things that are really important to us. And the number we landed at was, was a, a stretch. And stretched our, our generosity in ways that has never been true of us in the past. And I'd love to tell you, like, man, it all worked. And everything has been perfect in the last year. Uh, but it hasn't. Like, everything broke in our house in the last year. And you may hear that and say, don't be so, I'm not being dramatic. I'm being a little dramatic, like, but a lot of things broke uh, in the last year. You know, we're, we're a special needs families, and, and so a lot of the, the needs we have in front of us are, are numbers we can never uh, provide for on our own. So we, we pray, and we expect God to provide through those things. 
But the point of, of that number, that journey for us, was never, it's not about a number, it's not about a commitment, but about reshaping my life around the generosity of God. Moving into a space of dependency on God to trust Him to provide for us because He has promised to do that for us. And the journey over the last year is doing something to me. Like God is doing something to me in this journey. Because here's the reality. I, I, I would guess almost everyone in this room, if you're a committed follower of Jesus, you know you struggle with selfishness and you know it. And you hear, we hear Jesus say, I came to serve and not be served. And I'm like, well, yeah, you're Jesus. I'm me, right? That just sounds so over the top. And we, but we hear this and we know that that's such a better life than the American vision of uh, grab all you can and then die and someone else gets it. That's the vision of the good life we're given. And yet Jesus comes along and we know, we know intuitively he's right. The good life is to serve, to give your life away. But how do we become that? Because we, we know we're, we're a long way from that. And for me, that's, that's what's powerful about taking up an intentional journey towards a life of, of financial generosity. Um, and I, I want to defend even the financial piece. Because oftentimes, anytime we talk about money in the church, it, it feels like we have to create the caveat really quickly. But also time and also talents. And I, that's important. But if you, if you follow the teachings of Jesus, you would see those are not as important as the financial piece. Because Jesus said two pretty shocking things about money. One is you cannot serve God in money. It's neither or proposition. It's not about, it's, there's no mingling. Jesus rarely speaks that strongly, but he does about money. And the second is Jesus says where your treasure is, where your, your financial resources are flowing towards, that's where your heart is. So if you want to know who you really are, your money tells you. And so time, talent, very important. But I'm, I'm inviting you into something different this morning. Into a, a pursuit of, of financial a journey towards financial generosity. And, and it's a way, uh, if you permit me an awkward phrase for a moment, uh, to, to take up this type of life or this journey is a way to, to fake it until you make it. Uh, now, Kevin Earhart didn't like that, so I'm going to try to defend that phrase for a moment. But, but here's what I mean. Like, I know in where I'm at in my own life right now, I need to better serve Misty in, in our home together. But when I get home from a long day of work, it, that's just, it just... What I'd rather do is just sit on my couch, doom scroll social media, and read about Indiana basketball's latest loss and sit in my sadness. If you're, familiar, if you're an Illinois fan, now's your time to whatever you want to do. That's fine. Um, no one, either service. Thank you. I just, to the Illinois fans, thanks for not rubbing it in. I appreciate that. Um, but I, I, know, I know that I'm, I, that's so hard for me. And I know that. I know I need to better serve and be present to my kids, but at 8 p.m. when I'm wiped and it's bedtime, I just want to practice what uh, comedian Jim Gaffigan calls reverse hostage negotiation. Like you just say to your kids, listen, I will give you whatever you want if you don't come out of that room the rest of the night. Which, of course, it's not great fathering. Like I, I know that. I know that. And I know I need to better serve you, the, the people of this this church, but there are days I just want to shut my phone down and hide. And as a Christian, I feel like our strategy for spiritual change is often like a two-step process. Step one, we make you feel bad about yourself. <laughs> you're selfish, right? Look, look how you're treating your kids. Or look how, you know, you're not using your money the way you should. Like, it's, that's just easy, right, to make us feel guilty. And then step two is we tell you to try harder, right? So feel bad about yourself. You try harder. 
Then you fail, you come back, we make you feel guilty again. Then we tell you, and it's just the cycle uh, of, of guilt. And so some Christians respond to that. Well, that's why you just, you can't, you can't lay burdens on people. It's all grace. You can't really do anything to change. You just have to trust God, which of course, that's not in the Bible. Paul says to us, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Give this effort, right? Don't, don't just quit and call it grace and you'll die one day. That's, that's not the message of the New Testament. Well, there's another way, I believe. And it's the art, an artful phrase I spoke to a minute ago. It's, it's fake it until you make it. You create spiritual practices that you know will shape you over the long time and into a different kind of person that you know you could never be on your own. And so here's what I mean, uh, what I mean by that. The, the commitment that Misty and I made um, a year ago to this two-year window for our Gather Initiative, it's, it's not a true reflection of who I am today. The number we landed on is more generous than who I really am. And so in that sense, it was fake. It was a number of sacrificial generosity that I've never been and am not close to in my discipleship to Jesus in this moment. But it is who I want to be in my discipleship to Jesus. It reflects the kind of person I want to be to my wife, to my kids, to this church, to my neighbors, to Valpo and Chesterton, to Northwest Indiana. And what I found over the past part of the past year is while I'm not that person yet, I'm closer than I was a year ago by willing to take a, a journey towards financial generosity that's pulled me into a direction that begins to lean into the vision of Jesus, which is I, I don't need to be served by others, but I want to serve them. And I want to use the resources, the wisdom, the life God has given to me not to grab for myself, but to give to others. And my belief is almost everyone in this room agrees with that and wants that. And it's why I'm inviting you to say, listen, if you want to grow in that, I, I don't know of a better way than to intentionally commit to a, a financial generosity journey and pursue it with all your heart. And so I want to invite you to consider a question this morning, which is, uh, we, want to we want you to pray through over the course of the next week, what could your generosity look like over the next 12 months? That we're in the middle of a, a two-year discipleship journey together. And the first goal of that journey, the Gather Initiative, was 100% engagement from all of you. And that's what we've been talking about over the last several weeks, inviting you to ask God where he might be calling you to serve, from uh, gathering us together as one church to uh, serving the next generation through the residency, through our special needs families, through children's ministries, or whatever from what we've, we've shared. That, like, is God may be laying a burden on your heart. How might you help us get there? So that's, that's goal one. It's just however you, you feel like God might be leading you to serve us. The second goal was to encourage you to, to start an intentional journey towards financial generosity. And this congregation responded one year ago with our Commitment Sunday in a powerful way. And now we're halfway through that, that initiative together. And we wanted to begin year two with another prayerful and intentional day of committing ourselves to the second year of this journey together. And so what we're asking of you over the next uh, week is, is to pray through the question, what could your financial generosity look like over the next 12 months to our church family? We hope you'll take that to our Father, to invite Him to lead you into that life, to allow him to lead you, to, 
uh, take uh, a commitment card home to pray over that question and to seek to have God begin to lead you or to continue to lead you in that journey and then come back ready to participate with us next Sunday where we'll uh, write out commitments and commit together as a church family. And maybe you hear uh, that and think one of a couple thoughts. Maybe you hear that one, Tim, I've not been here that long enough and I don't know Liberty that well. I'm not really ready for that and I just want to say that's okay. Uh, the point of, of what I'm speaking to you right now is not Liberty Bible Church. The point is, is, is the, the generosity journey with God we want you to take. And so if you're not ready for that commitment to us, choose somewhere else. Uh, we have a ton of great missionaries. We'd love for you to come up with a financial number for them um, over the course of the next year. Maybe you grew up in a church and you've never really been able to be generous towards them because of your lot in life. And now, now you can. And maybe Choose them. Or, or something else. Like any, the, the point is not liberty. The point is our, gener- our journey towards becoming people of other-centered, generous, sacrificial love. But if you are ready to make liberty your home and you're newer here, we want you to consider what might a 12-month commitment from March 1 of this, uh, coming, of this current year to the end of February next year uh, look like in your generosity. So that's one thing I'd say. is, is it's, it's about the journey, not about our church. But second, you may be thinking, well, Tim, we did that last year. Why? I don't need to do it uh, again. Um, and yes, you do, because the journey of generosity was not something we completed last year. It ends when we, we die. <laughs> and we have become fully like Christ, truly fully uh, people who can say, I, I want to serve and not, and not be served. And so if you were here last year for our Commitment Sunday, ahead of next Sunday's uh, new Commitment Sunday, we want to invite you uh, to, to pray through two things. One, we want to invite you to pray in considering uh, finishing strong. And maybe this, this last year for you has been like it has been for me, a stretching, difficult journey. Don't stop now. Let God work in you over the course of uh, the next year. And we want you to, to, to bring your commitment card, write the same number on it, and lay it down as your commitment to continuing the journey God began in you a year ago. Or secondly, if you're in a different place, and, and this can become possible, we want to invite you to consider increasing your commitment. Then maybe God's been exceedingly good to you this year and you find yourself with more margin, more possibilities. And God would lay it on your heart to help us take it further um, in a year. Take it to God. Our, our confidence is if you go to God in, in this conversation, he will lead you to a place of generosity. And so we trust him with that. And next Sunday, our hope is after a week of prayer and thought and consideration and after the last few weeks of prayer and thought and consideration, we come And we commit ourselves to becoming the kinds of people Jesus says here in Mark 10. Generous, sacrificial, others center. And so next Sunday we're going to launch a new series in 1 Corinthians. And we're calling it A Holy Mess. Because the church can be messy, but, and we'll talk about that. But what you need to hear about this series, this is not going to be a critique of the church. It's going to be... We, we are saints. If you're in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. A called out one. You are holy. And that means this room is full of people who will one day perfectly image Jesus. Whose entire lives and existences will be one of generous, sacrificial, other-centered love and joy. That is our destiny as Christians. 
And Paul leans into it pretty heavily in 1 Corinthians, even in the midst of incredible mess. And that is the life Jesus called us to. He, he lived it. And that's the history of the church. What I love about Mark 10 is, is James and John, they come in pretty hot with, oh yeah, we can, we can take the baptism that you have for us, Jesus. So give us the most powerful places. And what I love about Jesus is he doesn't mock them for their arrogance and pride. Did you, what, did you see what he says to him? I mean, they're totally out of line. But Jesus says this, you, verse uh, 39, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. He sees their future. And he doesn't speak what's not true of them in, the, in that moment, but he speaks about what will be true of them. Which is, if you know the end of church history, what happens is James is the first person who dies for his faith in the book of Acts. He was baptized with the baptism of Jesus, gave his life away to preach the gospel so that you and I, 2,000 years later, could know who Jesus is and taste his salvation. John lived into a ripe old age, but ended his life most likely in prison, exiled on an island because he preached the gospel. Both of them did, baptize, did enter the baptism and cup of Jesus. They gave their lives away. They went from arrogant self-promoters to generous, sacrificial, other-centered love. And that's the story of Christians throughout history. That's the story we get to live into each week here at our church family, that this church has been around for a hundred years because a group of leaders from Valpo Baptist Church decided they would come all the way up north to Chesterton, which I, I don't know if they rode horses back then or how, what was going on in 1927 when this started, but we're giving away our time and our money so the kids we don't know get to hear about Jesus. And you and I exist in this room because of them. And their generosity. This past Sunday, I rolled into our Saturday soccer time and I saw a team of volunteers giving away their Saturday morning to love kids and families, many of whom do not know Jesus. That's other-centered, sacrificial, generous love. It's in our rich history of, as a church of sending missionaries who give their lives away, often in dangerous situations. I hope you'll give our, our Go Missions podcast a, list, a listen sometime this week to the latest episode where we hear the story of one of our missionaries who is in uh, Lebanon. Her name's Jenny, and uh, she, she told the story of, uh, of course, the war in Israel started, and she's in Lebanon, and most experts think once the war in Gaza begins to ramp down, Lebanon will be next, and that's the next place of conflict. So the moment the war in Gaza started, the State Department said to every U.S. citizen in Lebanon, uh, come home. There's one airport in and out. If war starts, you're probably going to be stranded. So come home now. And so Jenny, a missionary, was faced with the decision, uh, do I go home or do I stay for almost certain war and danger in my life being truly at risk? And with no sense of judgment to anyone who made a different decision, she, she, she stayed. And she said to the people who she's serving, uh, you, are my, you are my family. You're my, you're my mother, you're my sisters, you're my brothers. I can't leave you. Or what Jesus said, I came to serve you, not to be served, and to give my life. And so she's staying in Lebanon to serve people with the gospel. And you may hear that and think, oh, I'd never do that. Not true. Because how did Jesus love you? His life was in danger because of us, our sin, the ruin we've made of this world. And did he run away because his life was threatened? No. No, his, uh, his life was threatened because human beings, we continue to use power to have our way, to, 
step on other people, to override their wills with our own. And so that's what happened to Jesus. The religious elite, political power of his day, crucified him on a cross to show him who was really in charge. And yet his response was, listen, I lay my life down. No one's taking it from me. He was, he was serving us. He was giving his life away to us. When Jesus could have fled, he stayed for you. And if you, you give your life to him, you pray to him, you spend your time being his disciple, you will become like him. So pray to him. Invite him into your life all the way in, including your money, and he will make you like him. Generous, other-centered, sacrificial. He can do it and he will do it. To you and to me. Because... He did not come for you to serve him. He came to serve you and to give his life as a ransom for yours. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we now open up a space to sing to Jesus who is the king, who gave his life for us. And so, I, God, I'm not, I'm not that kind of person now. And so I, I need to be ministered to by, to by Jesus. And so I pray now as we sing, as we take communion, as we prepare to leave this place, this would just be a space of ministry where Jesus would serve us. Show us the better life of generosity, of giving ourselves away, of loving others, uh, that we might be loved by you. Father, show us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.